What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. This is the News and Notes edition of the Morecast. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting to watch a couple things. In the second half of the podcast, I'm going to get more into a philosophical thing. So if those of you who are, not, who are just looking for me talking about what's going on in the NBA... Uh, you can skip the second half of this podcast, uh, but I encourage you to stay around because it's kind of like a, a thing I've been thinking about ever since listening to Ryan Rosillo's podcast this week. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about talk about is your our Denver Nuggets, and uh, they are back from uh, from training camp in uh, San Diego. Which, and once again, I need to reiterate: I don't know why they go to sea level for training camp. It it's just like I get not doing it in Denver. I really do, because that practice court is small. Uh, in fact, they're practicing right as we are, as I'm t- recording this. But I just don't, uh, I just don't understand why they go away from altitude. Um, they really do need to spend as much time at altitude as possible. But whatever, um, that's a quibble. But the Nuggets, there wasn't a ton of news coming out of Nuggets training camp. In fact, I wouldn't call uh, this Nuggets training camp um, notable in any sort of way. Uh, You know, everyone has heard my complaints about the way the Nuggets are approaching this offseason. And I, I, people are just going to have to get over this. I am, I, 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 my philosophically speaking and something that I 100% cling to as someone who's watched basketball his almost his entire life is that your windows for competing are really tiny and with Nikola Jokic and not knowing how long he is going to actually play uh then I think the Nuggets approach has not been great but I've gone over that territory well-worn territory you know a lot this year I will comment further on that as needed but it doesn't need to be commented on now but in the grand scheme of things it's been pretty unremarkable uh training camp the Nuggets uh the biggest news was Michael Porter Jr. spraining his ankle um from what I saw on the videos from practice he was out there today the swelling had gone down and he was out there shirtless uh so good for Mike but I think uh, in the grand scheme of things, the biggest question coming from the Denver Nuggets is if they are going to be able to incorporate the five or six rookies and second year players that they they plan on incorporating. Um, uh, There's a huge percentage of their roster who is extremely young. I mean, I know Adam Mares has gone on record as saying they're not young because they're gone through that much college. They're young. Uh, in NBA young is, is young. It's like you are your first year in the league. You have to learn a lot. doesn't matter if you spent four years in college. doesn't matter if you uh, came right out of high school, you still have a ton to learn. And having that happen in a championship season is really rare. And the competition quote unquote for these, the, this, the other bench slots aside from, um, Christian Brown and uh, uh, Reggie Jackson has been the biggest thing of note. The Nuggets starting lineup is set. Um, and I I suspect, and this is just my, my, my opinion, you know, opinion based on what I've been observing, is that the Nuggets intend on there probably to be a little more rotation to start the year from Jamal and maybe even MPJ. Um, and then, you know, as the year goes on to try to get 
you know, a more of a consistent second unit, which is Michael Malone's preference. Um, I, it's going to be something to watch. The competition is like, one of the things about this is that you're not able to watch practices. When I first started in uh, covering the Denver Nuggets, we were able to watch a good 30 minutes of practice and we were able to watch shoot arounds. Um, League wide, that is not the case anymore. Um, So, what media is able to observe is completely up to the Nuggets organization. And even that, even with that, we're we're having to rely on interpretations of what the coach says. So I don't anticipate we are going to get any sort of solid clue about what's happening until we hit preseason games. And even then preseason games are largely just to knock the rust off. Um, It's a step up uh, above, um, of uh, summer league to be honest with you um it's the time where teams just kind of knock off the rust and even the first five six games of the season maybe even 10 it's still you're still getting into nba mode the meat of the season really is between game 10 and game 70 basically and then the last 10 12 games of the season are usually Either if you're not jockeying for a spot, you're resting for the playoffs. So it's it's really the meat of the season is the is the sixty or so games in between the the last ten twelve, um, on either side. Um, so so twenty two games of the season, you are really either ramping down or ramping up. So the Nuggets are likely, and this is just once again me interpreting what's going on, is that the Nuggets are likely going to be using this time to try to work in these bevy of rookies and second-year players that they have on the roster. I don't know what they're going to do with Zignaji. There is a contingent of the Nuggets media who is very fond of Zignaji. Uh, I can think of Adam Aras in particular. Um, uh, he has not shown me in the in the three, four years that he has been around that he has, is anything special, uh, frequently injured. Um, wasn't he taken in the 2020 draft? I think wasn't that his draft, um, he hasn't really shown me that. I mean, I, I don't know what people are expecting. Um, I think the nuggets are kind of in an interesting position with backup center. I don't anticipate them going back to Aaron Gordon as backup center for the regular season. They may go to that in the playoffs, but it's it, it's not something I don't think I don't think the Nuggets want this this to be a thing. Um it, you open yourself up to the potential for uh for more physical injury and I think the Nuggets are are cognizant of that. And I think that's one of the reasons they didn't go to it last year. I suspect from the from the beginning of last year they're initial plan was to go to this eventually and they sprinkled it in towards the second half of the season maybe three four times and that was it um so zeke is in a position to where he has to he has to show out because he's under undersized center uh, obviously deandre jordan's still on the roster but at this point he is there for mentoring and all that stuff primarily and emergence break glass in case of emergency kind of thing so um, really, this is about Zignaji and, you know, there is a rotation of, of, of extremely young players who are vying for rotation spots. And uh, this will be the thing to watch unfold through the preseason and through the first whatever or so games the Nuggets uh, are going with that policy 
uh, in the uh, regular season. So that is the thing to watch. Other than that, there really wasn't much to talk about from Nuggets training camp. I, I, I perused all the reports, talked to all the people I know, and there just was nothing nothing that stood out as far as, uh, as anything really notable here. So... Um, I kind of, you know, kind of going with this theme of uh, backup center and Aaron Gordon being playing backup center. There is one player who is a all-time great who really hates playing center, and that is Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, it is 100% a known fact, going all the way back to his time in New Orleans, that Anthony Davis really dislikes playing center. And... I think largely it was on full display why he hates playing center uh, in game one uh, against the Lakers, um, where through two and a half quarters of that game, Davis was getting the work, the business put on him by Nikola Jokic, and Davis would like to roam. not only would he like to roam, he wants to stay out of screens. And there's this quote that that has been floating around from him. Um, and I'm going to ignore the the the, uh, the Nuggets talk from the Lakers because who cares? Um, but the the quote from him about staying out of a hundred consecutive screens is an interesting one, and pick and roll screens and all these things like that. And why it's interesting is because really, if you think of, think about it, even though Nikola Jokic gave him the business uh, in that series when they were guarding him one-on-one, is that the by far the best position for Anthony Davis, particularly with LeBron James on the roster, is at center. And obviously the the Lakers with their moves in this offseason getting Christian Wood and they their intent is to play these guys by the way Christian Wood on Nikola Jokic will be a comic comical comically bad for the Lakers um but their their idea specifically if you're combating the Denver Nuggets is to get uh Anthony Davis off of Nikola Jokic um and this is all well and good this was the recipe they used in the 2020 bubble games Forgetting, of course, the fact that, that there was a lot of different scenarios there. And you know, Nikola Jokic still had a good series. Um, all that did was allow Anthony Davis to... The difference in that series was Anthony Davis hitting shots. Which he did that entire bubble run. Um, which he has not done since. So, I, it really was depending on him doing that. But Dwight Howard, basically all he did was foul Nikola Jokic. You can only do that... You know, obviously for a series, maybe, you know, the, the, the Rui Hachimura um, adjustment, so to speak, was something that I, I it was semi effective. But the problem is you if you have Anthony Davis roaming and hopefully trying to block Nikola Jokic, which is what the Philadelphia 76ers did in their only, in the only time the, the Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic played, played, um, faced, you know, you know, when actually Embiid was on the, uh, on the floor, God, I'm stumbling through my words today. Um, and the only time uh, Embiid actually deigned to face Nikola Jokic. One of the things that people forget is that the Nuggets were leading through three quarters of that game. There was a last-ditch thing by Doc Rivers to put um, 
uh, PJ Tucker on Nikola Jokic. And obviously this allowed uh, Joel Embiid to roam, which is the, the Lakers recipe in 2020 that worked for a quarter and it was effective at that time. Um, but Jokic inevitably figures things out. If the, the Lakers are going to be doing this, obviously Jokic is smart enough to know that this is coming and will adjust accordingly. And this, and one of the reasons that it won't be able to work long-term is that Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. are, are out there. And those are both like differently skilled people than Jeremy Grant was, uh, and Michael Porter Jr. was at that time. It's, it, and much considering that was Michael Porter Jr.'s, uh, believe that was his rookie year, 2019-20. He's a different player now than he was back then. So um, it's just not the same scenario. But going back to Davis, I've never seen a player hate playing where they are best ever um, more than Anthony Davis. I've never seen it before. He He actively dislikes playing center to the point where you find the Lakers adjusting some to something that they shouldn't be doing. LeBron James at the three is not a good idea for the Lakers. And it's because Anthony Davis wants to play the four and Anthony Davis at the four is puts, which is he's okay at the four is another thing, but him playing at the five is his optimum position. He, he can stretch out. He can, he can take advantages of, of mismatches. It's on the defensive end where he gets worn out that he hates playing, and he thinks that he get, has a greater chance of being injured if he plays there. I think that's um, it's not nonsense, but I think that it goes against where he's best. And I, I don't know what exactly his his end game is here. I mean, he's trying. He's obviously pining for the twenty twenty season again. Um, but as I said, you're facing the Denver Nuggets and the Denver Nuggets are not the, are not the same 2020 Denver Nuggets. This is a different, probably a much better team. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. All right. In the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about this little thing that just this brainwave that I had. Um, and, uh, it's more of a philosophical thing, but it more has me wondering why this isn't a thing. So we'll be getting that in the second half. But first I want to talk to you about Blanchard family wines located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coursefield, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They have every kind of varietal that, that you need, from reds to whites to rosés. Um, they got nice blends. They've got uh, Malbecs. They've got uh, Syrahs. they got Merlot. they got Cabernet. Um, they've got Gewürztraminer, and they've got you know, all the all the varietals that you need in your favorite local wine bar. There's a location in Fort Collins and one in Golden, and their original location in Sonoma County, California. It really, truly, though, is a local Colorado uh, uh, wine bar where they have selections of wines from all over the state of Colorado for you to try. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you. There, there was a scenario painted by Ryan Rosillo on one of his podcasts this last week that got me thinking. And I'm not going to take the same tack that he did, but I, it, it did get the old synapses stirring. And it's a, and there was this quote from Caleb Williams, uh, who's projected to be the first pick in the, in the draft, about his father, about about 
different places having terrible organizations, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, and um, them, Caleb Williams and his team being very aware of of an organization that is really bad trying to get them and all that stuff. And I think this goes to a, a lot of a lot of different things because the implication in Caleb Williams dad's uh, comments was that he could stay another year in in college if he doesn't feel like the right situation will be falling to him and obviously the NFL is different um there are a lot more very incompetent general managers in uh NFL than there are in the NBA in the NBA they get because fans are much more interactive with it and much more knowledgeable about the nuances of the way the NBA does business, they tend to call out shitty GMs in a, in a way that maybe not the NFL gets. The NFL has such control over its, over its players um, that guys, and, and there's quick turnaround because of it, because they treat their players like, um, you know, used uh, handkerchiefs. Um, they they have such control that they don't necessarily have to worry about about the perception they get the turnover for general managers in the NFL is pretty low and for the, for that matter in the NBA but it brings up a question that i think is is pertinent to raise and this goes to the NBA and all sports leagues um Obviously, there is the the reverse incentive situation in in drafting, in that the worst teams get the best picks if they haven't been traded and all that stuff, and the usual caveats. And obviously, being bad is is it's it the incentive structure is to if you're if you're terrible, you will get a your shot at the best players. And one of the things, one of the things that was said in that situation, when Marcillo's podcast was, he was talking about why, you know, if you're a good player, if you're a great player, why do you have to go to these shitty organizations? You know, he wasn't positing it as a, that, that's what he thinks, but he, he brought up the question. And it's one of those things where it makes, it makes me wonder. Now, obviously this is done to make sure the league is, got some semblance of parody, right? So obviously in like in 1997, it was, and in, 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 scratch that, let's go all the way back to 1984. Um, the very reason the draft lottery was instated in the NBA was because the Houston Rockets openly tanked uh, in, in the 83-84 season to get um, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. Okay. Michael Jordan, keep in mind this draft, Michael Jordan was not at the top of, of people's lists at that point. It was, it was, uh, Elijah one and, uh, they were openly tanking to do it. And then they, it was actually kind of shameful what was going on in Houston, but they, they ended up getting able to draft Elijah one. And so what David Stern's, uh, solution to combat the tanking was to instate a draft lottery for all the non-playoff teams if you still had your picks obviously 
This didn't exactly prevent tanking. It kind of mitigated it, but it didn't prevent tanking. Teams still blatantly tanked. Um, obviously, with the famous things being the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, Tim Duncan got drafted by a team that was good, that was that got to beset by uh, injuries to David Robinson and Sean Elliott and uh, uh, Greg Popovich basically sandbagging Bob Hill and then <laughs> and then we every it's 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 a convoluted story but by the stroke of their luck they get Tim Duncan when they already had David Robinson and the rest was history for the Spurs but by and large if you are a terrible team you will be rewarded with a good player and there's something to be said and then this is where the philosophical element of this comes in in Sometimes incompetent organizations get good players, and, and 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 sometimes they get great players, and sometimes these players end up not developing right because this organization is incompetent. And this isn't just an NBA thing. This is this stretches across all manner of sports. If you are a badly run organization, that will not change if you get great players. And sometimes that incentive structure is gone please rescue us from ourselves and it's really always been the the uh axiom for any front office is out there is that if we luck out and get this one-of-a-kind player all the rest of our problems will go away not keeping in mind that sometimes just an incompetent organization is an incompetent organization and you know look at the washington wizards or or any manner of of, of organization that gets to drag i mean sacramento kings until just recently you know you get they get all these players that you think are good maybe you draft poorly maybe you you know they had they had demarcus cousins and they still didn't get anywhere um and with the wizards you had bradley beal you had uh um, John Wall, and you still didn't get anywhere. You were still very mediocre. Sometimes it's just an example of you having a, a incompetent organization. And the, the corrupt incentive with it is that if you get paid, you don't get to complain. So GMs use this as their shield. And that is where I, not only GMs, owners do, you know, Think of all the shitty owners have, that have filtered their way through any sports league. Look at uh, look at the Indianapolis Colts, Bob Ursay. I mean, imagine having to work for that guy and his insanity, or Jim Ursay, not Bob Ursay, or Bob Ursay, Jim Ursay. Um, and it, it is uh, it, it, it you know the NBA with Donald Sterling. James Dolan, any one of these guys who are just, uh, shouldn't own a team. So my question with this, and this is just me spitballing here because I don't, I don't have an answer for this. And, and, and everyone's probably solution is to stick with the same thing, but there almost seems like this perverse incentive to rescue an organization with a one of one of a kind player without understanding that this organization is likely if they're especially certain numbers of these teams are probably incompetent to start with. So you're the, this players could be ruined by a, a going to a bad team. And I've always thought about how 
the lack of control in the draft and how the incentive structure in the draft is so reverse of what it would normally be in any sort of other situation. This is the nature of the draft. How it like look at look at um, look in the NFL. Look at uh, the Arizona Cardinals. They have been run by the same family forever, and they are clearly have no idea what they're doing. And obviously they lucked out and got to the Super Bowl in what, 2008 season. But by and large, it's, you know, it's, it's historically not great there. Look at the Denver Broncos when they, Pat Bowen um, had to step away. It's just how poorly run they were. There, there's a lot of different examples of how a poorly run organization can, can, not set a player and it will actually harm a player and the players that have used their leverage in a draft to get away from certain situations um are the ones particularly in the nfl vilified i'm talking about um uh john elway in 1983 when he didn't want to go to uh, baltimore and uh, eli manning when he didn't want to go to San Diego. Now the San Diego one was a little different. Um, but the, the, this is what happens. And sometimes these organizations like get gifted these, these quarterbacks. And sometimes these and of NBA teams will get gifted these players and have no idea how to adequately develop the, them. And these players will be set back in their careers. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. You know, well, like I said, I'm not drawing any conclusion here. I'm just, just, it got me thinking about it. How do you change the, the negative incentive structure on this in the NBA specifically? How do you, how do you change it? The NBA's uh, altered the draft, the draft lottery a million times since it came into being in 1985. And does that mean that, I mean, but then, then also with the draft lottery, sometimes teams like the Denver Nuggets, constantly just got the worst result possible in the in the in the draft lottery never moved up having the nuggets in the 38 years since the draft has was instituted since the draft was instituted nuggets have never moved up ever and like three times i think they had the worst record in the league and all three times they got the worst result they could possibly have from having the worst record in the league i mean that's pretty insane but yeah, so I understand that side too. This is just me. This is just me spitballing here. It, it really it got me thinking about it. Is is there a way to change the incentive structure? And there's a, is there a way for leagues to guarantee or try to guarantee that these teams have better management and better front offices and all that stuff? Because it comes down from the top, and sometimes you just can't you just can't do anything about it, and these players end up being screwed. You know, so I have no answer about this. It just got me thinking. So hat tip to Ryan Rosello for for uh, letting me think about that sort of thing by listening to your podcast. So anyway, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mordcast. Uh, I'm going to be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.